Welcome to Meanwhile in Memphis, where New Memphis is celebrating our city by providing a weekly window into the ways Memphians are solving problems, looking forward, and successfully shaping the community. Hello, Memphis. Welcome to your weekly episode of Meanwhile in Memphis. My name is Anna Mullins-Ellis. I'm here with my friend and co-host, Christy Mullen. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, Memphis. We are here. If you are listening live, it is Tuesday morning at 8 a.m. We are in WYXR. Thank you to our friends at WYXR for letting us um, get on the airwaves. And I know. It, it, it's sort of, I'm like, I didn't, it's one of those uh, situations where I'm like, oh, you just let anybody do this. <laughs> <laughs> Kidding. Christy's quite good at this. Um, but we are here every week. We share what we call a weekly window into what is making Memphis great. So we invite folks who are um, uh, innovators, entrepreneurs, people um, leading in our nonprofits, people who are just leading great and interesting projects, things that are making Memphis better. Um, if you do not know, New Memphis is uh, the organization that helps put this program on. It's where Christy and I work. Um, so we're, we're beholden to them. But New <laughs> Memphis is a local nonprofit that works to make Memphis magnetic. Uh, it works to make sure that Memphis has great leaders in every corner of our community working together to build a better future for our city. So this podcast is always a um, a version of that. We're just inviting people in who are doing the work, who are out there shaping Memphis for the better. Um, and we have an, an episode today that will not disappoint. Um, we have an amazing guest. Effie Ballard Johnson yes. is... I, I, I'm warning. She hasn't actually. Usually, when we are recording this introduction, we've already recorded the interview. She's literally about to join us, um, and I'm I'm going to be here to warn Christy and the audience. Like she is this effervescent spirit who will absolutely um, <laughs> just kind of pour out of uh, you know into your ears from the radio wave. She's an amazing woman, uh, a graduate of New Memphis. She is a graduate of our leadership development intensive. Um, has been a longtime friend. I adore her. Um, I, when I see her, I'm like. Um, just driven to give hugs, which mm-hmm. was hard. Like, I saw her recently and I was like wearing a mask. I was like, is this okay? And she just like brought me in. Like, it is. <laughs> so I'm super thrilled. Um, tell us a little bit more, Christy, about the the wonderful and effervescent Effie. Yeah. So today, guys, is a special TED episode, episode of Meanwhile in Memphis. Uh, Effie gave a talk with us uh, in 2015. First year. She's an oh, OG wow. TED talker. OG TED talker with TEDx Memphis. So Guys, I'm not as familiar with Effie as Anna is, but when I watched her TED Talk in preparation for this interview today, that is the first thing I noted is that she is just such a magnetic presence and I'm super excited to actually get to meet her when she comes in the studio today. Um, it's like, um, you know, when you're watching a musical, I, w- I just watched In the Heights, so this is like fresh in my mind. I haven't watched like, it yet. It's like somebody just like breaks out into song yes. and it feels normal. But like if that were to happen in your but like Effie's like that, you're like, oh, you could absolutely break yes. out into song. And yes. that's and part I of her TED talk. <laughs> because I too often break out into song. <laughs> just like <laughs> just ask Nora, who has to sit with me in her office space. Um, but guys, again, Effie Ballard Johnston, she is actually the president and CEO of the Neighborhood Christian Centers. And she's gonna be here to talk about not only the work she does here in our city, but again, that TEDx Memphis talk um back in 2015 called Do First Years Last a Lifetime. Um, which honestly is just a powerful title in itself. So I'm super excited for you guys get to hear her. I'm super excited to get to meet her. So let's just roll into the show. Let's do it. All right, guys, we 
we are here with Miss Effie Ballard Johnson. How are you? I'm doing very well. I'm super glad to have you today. I was, me and Anna were talking about a little bit in the intro. I've never met you before. So um, me listening to your TED Talk was kind of my first introduction into you as a person. Mm. And I was just kind of taken aback because you're such a magnetic presence, um, especially on stage, which is for people like me, it's hard to do because I'm petrified. Where Effie is most at home, yeah. I imagine. <laughs> but like, it, it was just, I was very excited to get to like bring you in and meet you today. And um, just in kind of looking into who you are as a person, you have such an interesting story. <laughs> like it, we'll get into the first line of that TED Talk later. I'm not going to ruin that right now. But I just kind of want in your own words to kind of give us a little bit and share with our listeners a little bit about, you know, who you are and how you got to where you are today. So who I am and how I got here is um, who my <laughs> long, parents long are. Long, ago, yes. <laughs> The birds and the bees, Christy. Exactly. So um, if your mom's never shared this with you, <laughs> I can share with you now. Um, but no, um, my mom and dad's lives, of course, influenced my life, mm -hmm. my actual presence um, on this earth. And so um, my life began living in a home with two parents that had a heart for the community. Um, to the point that they brought the community into our home. And um, so from a very from birth, I knew nothing but people and um, serving people um, in, in, in some ways, creatively responding to needs, um, finding answers and solutions for problems. Um, so that was just kind of who I, I was. Uh, my parents ne never made us responsible for the work that they created. Mm -hmm. Uh, or, or was were called to do, but we were in the house, so we were responsible to the work that they were doing. Uh, but my mother, my mother and my father also were very intentional about each one of my siblings uh, and my um, talents um, and giftings. And so I was the eldest of all the children. And so my parents respect same. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Being the oldest you child, you know, it's just a thing. It's a thing yes. you understand on a different yes. level. It's, it's totally different. You feel responsible for mm -hmm. everyone. Um, and you're, you know, you're the practice kid and you're, you're trying to make you're sure. You're the trial and error <laughs> kid for sure. <laughs> Making sure you do everything um, right or what, what seems right. And um, so I was that person. I've, I've shared these things, I think more personally with, with Anna, but just my own personal challenges mm -hmm. of being, um, a perfectionist, um, the anxieties of caring what people think so much over the years, you know, I've just, I've matured in, in knowing what is right. And I feel what like is you're not speaking good. directly to me in this moment. <laughs> so shall we have a moment? <laughs> I know. I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm like, did you come here to personally attack me today? <laughs> no, no, no. I would say like, I'm here to personally lift you up, my sister. Love it. Thank you. <laughs> but anyway, but this is not the parents. My parents right. didn't do this to me, but the, it's the nature of being the firstborn, mm -hmm. being, um, you know, wanting to get all these things done do, to do right or whatever. But anyway, my mom invested and my dad invested in piano lessons, voice lessons. They saw that, that I had giftings very early. So I sang when I was uh, around two or three years old. I was singing on, on radio shows. I was singing um, by the time I was five or six. Um, I was on WREG singing when my parents would be on, on you know, interviews and things like that. So I was always the opening act for my parents. <laughs> So that's kind of been my life. So when people yeah. see me now, so many years later, I'll hear people saying, oh, gosh, you're everywhere. You're doing this. You're doing that. I was like, since I can remember, I was always doing and I was always singing and I was always encouraging people prior to 
someone speaking or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, so who I am um, is that. Yeah. But I'm also entrepreneurial. I mean, my father helped me um, to start my own business. And I was a candy girl in our neighborhood. And, uh, you know, we went to Purity Products on on um, Jackson. And that's where I bought all my drinks and my candy and all that stuff. So anyway, the, the person I am is yeah. an eclectic uh, combination of various skills and talents that I actually have um, that my parents never told me I couldn't do it. And so I've just done them. And yeah. so that's kind of who I've become over the years. Yeah, that eclectic collection, I think, is uh, a wonderful way to describe your career, kind of what what you do every day. So we're going to pluck through pieces of it, but I want to start, as we mentioned in our introduction, you lead the Neighborhood Christian Center. Yes. Tell us, for those listening who do not know, what is this organization? What is your mission? How do you do your work? Yes. So Neighborhood Christian Centers also um, began as a a birth, an outbirth or, or outgrowth of my parents. Um, work at the um, doing the services they did to uh, so many children uh, living in our home. Over 75 um, young people lived in our home um, between the ages of 17 and 23. And um, that that work um, that they did to help, um, I would, we would call them opportunity youth now. Um, so that work that they did to help those young people to uh, restructure their lives, bring, um, take them into uh, opportunities of trade school or, or um, college, um, began uh, the work that would start the Neighborhood Christian Centers. And wow. so now we, um, since 1978, have been formally uh, an organization to serve uh, our families in need and people in need. And, and so our primary mission is to guide those in need towards stability and sustainability through Christ-centered ministries and empowerment programs. So that's what we do um, from a measurement level. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we have case management. Uh, we also uh, have a significant outreach um and Maslovian service portion to what we do as well. Um, before COVID, we were serving forty to 50,000 people a year wow. uh, with um, a lot of Maslovian needs. Uh, we Since COVID, it has given us an opportunity to restructure the organization where we're still doing significant outreach as we're being allowed to go back into the mm-hmm. world and do that kind of thing. And we call them sharing events and things like that. Uh, but we are really honed in on focusing on families uh, through a more of a case management formula um, where we're uh, where we have 11 different locations here in the city uh, six of those are place-based or site-based locations they're within section 8 housing developments which gives us um, an opportunity to have access to 900 plus uh, families each day and over um, t- I guess 2700 plus uh, individuals throughout those properties. And then we have the other locations, five that are in independent neighborhoods that we serve people every day. And we serve in three different areas, adult and um, adult and empowerment programs, youth programs that also incorporate empowerment, and then our uh, compassionate services that allows us to do utility assistance, rental assistance, sometimes funeral assistances, um, just when a person is in a situation where a, um, a tangible gift is not going to make the difference, mm-hmm. we have to do something uh, more monetary. So that is what we do every day. Wow. I'm, I'm just like, I, it's a lot. <laughs> well, yeah. And I'm not, I, I honestly, I knew Neighborhood Christian Centers was a thing. Yes. Um, but until I knew you were coming on the episode today, I didn't know the breadth of you guys' work. And just to yes. hear you talk about it, how does someone who may need you guys as assistants, how does that process work? And so, like I shared, there's Anyone can reach out to us. If we have it, we will share it. Okay. If we don't have it, we're going to tell you we don't have it. Because a lot of the things we get for our 
um, outreach services are given to us. Right. Um, if they want to be a part of case management, and I say that more, it sounds very formal, but a, a partnership with us coaching them along mm-hmm. to hit meet their goals, um, they can request that as well. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so we have uh, team members that serve our place-based locations as well as those that serve people that just walk in and, and need to help meet a goal you know, over the next year, yeah. help find a job, whatever's going on. We can we kind of respond to whatever people's needs are. Um, as we have grown, um, just with anyone else, growing pains are, mm-hmm. you know, we used to could All be too real. <laughs> everything to everybody. And now we've had to be more specific yeah. in some areas. So sometimes there might be things that we used to could do for everybody that we can't do anymore. Uh, but we want to be very honest and open with people so they know what we can do for them. I think that's the biggest piece of that puzzle, right? Like leading with that transparency. Right. Is the because if as long as you're honest with people, it tends to be like, yes, we used to could do this thing, but now we're trying to do more right. of this concise mm-hmm. thing. So we can't do that anymore. Right. And that's been challenging for me. I've been president and CEO since 2008. Our organization is 44 years old this mm-hmm. year. And so those first 30 plus years um, um, were so, well, yeah, 30 years were so different than what I know knew we have to to morph into or uh, the paradigm shift that we were experiencing. Uh, and so, uh, you know, even our staff at one time was like, are we still doing outreach? We, well, we're having to, we had to stop and learn mm-hmm. what, how do we create a baseline out of all the people we're serving so people don't feel like they're not being included, but how do we help to invite or let people choose to work with us on a more, on a deeper level by their choosing um, while we're still serving those that maybe don't know what they need yet, are not ready to do the things that are necessary to be sustainable or self-sustaining. And so um, these are very challenging um, tactics we had to put together as a team. Uh, and then we had to uh, make sure that everybody in the organization bought into that. And that that kind of correlates with um, what I spoke about that got, brought me here today um, in my presentation, because... Um, we we talk about lives change when whatever time you can intersect with a person, uh, things can improve. Uh, the earlier stages we can work with a family, especially at mm-hmm. birth and beyond, and, and early early childhood is the most uh, the most opportune time. But um, anyone that's willing and wants to change, we can we can come alongside and support them in that. The problem is it takes seven to 10 years and gosh, some of us are drinking coffee and trying to get off caffeine and we can't hardly do that. <laughs> so imagine living in a state of um, poverty or right. a state of um, under-resourced, uh, under-resourced state of um, living. And uh, now we're saying, you know, you should be working. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we work, then this is, then you have, you own that. And that's, that's something you can build on and, and so these are challenging uh, things to work through with the systemic uh, and a mi- the systemic issues and then the mindset of yeah. people that have never had to do anything different. No, I think that's yeah, obviously there are many great organizations in our city who are yes, working are. on issues of, you know, workforce development. That's and right. Poverty abatement. What I love about your organization is it. It's not ignoring the systemic level of, of 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 this, you know, of these problems, but you're you're approaching it on such a human and like community mm-hmm, level mm-hmm. that is truly it feels like 
um, in the same way that you would go to your family or your immediate community, Mm -hmm. your church community, whatever it might be to say, like, I need help. I need support. I need like mm-hmm. love and guidance. Mm-hmm. Um, and but you're doing that at like a macro scale for right. these neighborhoods. And I think that's really beautiful. And sometimes when we talk about our city's issues, we get really mired down in in the systems and and we need to fix them. So right. like, I'm glad we have people here doing that. But it's so that's beautiful right. to have somebody who's like, I'm I'm here to take care of this this individual. Right. Um so and I this just, is hard. This is not easy work. Um, people that are listening that may be a part of our funding stream, they understand this, those that may be interested in funding. Um, <laughs> but um, this is not, you know, when you're talking about metrics and you're talking about outcomes and you're speaking about human beings in relationship yes. to that, I'm always baffled by how people say, oh, we're going to do this by tomorrow with this group of people. And I'm like, I don't know what people y'all talking about. Because <laughs> if you talk about people, there's my people, me. Like, yeah. just talk about me. I can't change. (laughs) Just human people. And so when you're talking about um, changing a habit, changing a generation of multiple generations of a way of life, um, you have so many things that that are contributing factors to you being you. If If you're a mother with a husband, or or a mate mm-hmm. or someone that's helping you raise that child, and you you know people say, oh she does so well as a mom and 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 that baby is just doing so well, and 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 how does she work and do because you got to yeah you know so so what's so when we when people say neighborhood Christian centers doing so many things. We're not doing so many things. We're being a surrogate family uh, to that person. And they're That's not just neighborhood Christians. There's a lot of other people out there doing good work in the communities that we're a part of as well. So it takes the village as well. But with what we're doing specifically, our staff is constantly reiterated to that we don't get lost in people telling us we're doing a lot of things. Mm-hmm. No, we're doing normal things that are responses to how a person matures through life. So if I'm raising my two boys, which I am doing, they're on they're an adult stage of being um partnered with now through their their final my one just graduated from college in mechanical engineering. One um is in second year of um, University of Memphis and he's working in a bank and doing so well and on his way well to being a great businessman. But guess what? I had to have them cheering. Okay. <laughs> and before they got to this right here. Honey, I was stressed out yeah. sometimes like, oh, Lord, I got to, I, I got to nurse them. And then I had to, you know, observe their little behaviors. And one likes to sing like I do. And one likes to um, math, which I don't understand where that came <laughs> That's from. That's the engineer, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> <laughs> and he's very concrete and very smooth. And I had to monitor that and watch that. And, and my husband was like, well, how are we, what are we doing here with these? And we'd have to listen to them all the way to school, <laughs> tell us their ideas about what they were going to do when they were four and five and six. And we was like, That's great. Yeah, we're listening. And they went to PDS and we lived in Raleigh. And we determined that they were going to go to the schools that we could, you know, we would eat sardines, peanut butter, crackers, whatever I had to do. And my baby was going to go to school and get the best opportunities. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? We had to do that. <laughs> yeah. And and we still had to go to neighborhood Christian Center and work. My husband still had to go to job. And then my children had to go to basketball afterwards and, and softball on Saturdays and eat. <laughs> you know, I was going to say, you have to keep them alive. I know. And then, and then they had to be the room mom and then, you know, all this stuff. Right. And, and I'm just saying, guess what? And I still had to go to work. Mm-hmm. And I still had to pray with people they wanted that. I still had to 
you know, hang out sometimes and do things I'd love doing. I know I'm just talking, talking, talking. But no, I'm just saying, yeah. guess what? This is talk radio. This is what it's This for. is what we do, <laughs> girls. I feel like I'm Saturday Night Live. Y'all remember that episode? <laughs> Hi. <laughs> I'm Effie. <laughs> but anyway, so you got all this, you know, going on. And people still have to move forward and all the other things that are required in your life while you're doing this. Well, if you're missing that part, and Neighborhood Christian Centers is one of the organizations in Memphis says, we're going to help you with those, mm-hmm. some of those gaps in your, in, that you don't even know you have. We have to do that right alongside them, like we were doing when I was putting my kid in the car and letting them talk about what all they were going to do in their whole life in, in one hour while we we're getting to work, <laughs> get to school. And, you know, don't forget your lunch and all those things. We're doing the same things for children and families in the same way. You need a piano lesson, baby. You get. We'll help you do that. You need. You want to get a certificate in this? We, we got to help you do that. You want to get your hair license? That's what we got to do. It's the same thing. Yeah, hmm. well, it's with, just hard. Yeah, like when your brain <laughs> is in that mode of just getting day to day to day, and especially in terms of poverty, that's mm-hmm. a whole different. It's a different. Like, yeah, uh-huh. but when your brain is just in that survival mode, right? You you don't have time to think about. All you that. don't have time to think, and mm-hmm. I think that's something that's so wonderful to hear you speak about. Is you guys are really like you said, filling that void. So mm-hmm. you're not only helping them with things like bills, like mm-hmm. rent, where mm-hmm. that where you can step in. No. You're helping fill the blanks of things as simple as a music lesson. So right. that parent if that's what have they to, want to do. Right. Because sometimes mm-hmm. they don't have the some parents don't have the luxury to think about putting their kids through the things they want to do. First of all, we ain't got no money to talking about no piano lesson. Right. Okay. <laughs> you're talking about I'm trying to eat. Yeah. All right. Trying to pay my rent. And you're talking about it's need you know, focus. And so, but guess what? If we don't focus on people, and, and I'm talking about you know p- uh, piano lessons, but but it might be sports, it might right. be whatever it is, whatever it is that a child wants to do, whatever stage or whatever economic level or or background they're from, they deserve that opportunity if at all possible, mm-hmm. because one day they're going to be 18. They're going to be 21. They're going to be 22. And those moments are going to be missed. And when I think about my children, I think about my children, and I, then I think about that these other children are mine too. They're right. our children. And if we don't invest that same time that I was investing in my kids, I had to help invest in other people because they were living in the same timeline path as my children. And when I could tell you we have 40 kids that graduated from high school in the past four years and are graduating from high school or trade school uh, in this next three months, three three year cycle with my son's group that he graduated from college, five or six others graduated from college in his same wow. path and they went to different schools. I feel good about that. Yeah. Because if it's just my kid, it's I'm not doing it right. And so that's where Neighborhood Christian Centers is. We're about families. We're about how are we helping those we can help? I wish it could be 450 that we could help. Yeah. But those 40 we can influence baby, a year. Baby steps are still steps. In That's the right. right. Direction. And those 40 kids are getting scholarships and they're going to college. And then we have uh, 53 students this year that are in our case management side that, that are matriculating through from um, six fifth grade to sixth grade and seventh grade. So we'll have these middle school kids and we track those children all the way through to career. And so, and that happens every year. You get a new cycle, a new set of children, and you have to keep an eye on all of that. So uh, this is a lot of work. But we have to support mamas and daddies and aunties and grandmamas that have not seen it or 
or want it, and they want it for their children just like I want it for my children. But when you have to make choices between food and rent, that's not a choice. Those both of those things are equal. You need the rent, you need pay your like utility, but you need both of them. You know. So how can we help lift a burden? How can we help encourage a sister or brother in our community that doesn't come from the same space I come from, but lives with the same dreams and desires that I have and and help somebody to have those opportunities? And that's what Neighborhood Christian is about. I have goosebumps right now. <laughs> like, I, you're so passionate when you talk about the work and you can tell. It's not like, a yes, you're a leader of the org, but it's not just that. That's the passion. You can tell that it's really <laughs> your heart is that mission. Yes. And I think. Yes, part of that is that your parents ingrained this in you, right? But you had to keep this. Like, you had to keep this going on. So, as, like, a big family person myself, seeing your parents in those leadership roles in terms of the work that you guys are doing, like, that you have such a heart for. Yes. What— what did you see that you have kept with you the most in terms of like leadership from like observing from your mom or your dad? Well, I first have to say that I was not a great leader at the beginning of this process. I love, I, I love that honesty. First, I though. didn't say that. <laughs> there are many people that work for me. It's like, baby, you need to work on we that. We love accountability around here. Baby, don't let her become president yet because she does not know what she's doing. And I'm like, you're right. And I was trying to be on Broadway, not 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 work work down the street off of Broad Street. <laughs> oh, but but um, God had a plan. Uh, but so I watched my parents um, work hard. So I felt like that was the most important thing because whether a person was there or not, the work the mission continued on, and um, we. I learned to fill in blanks, fill in spaces wherever needed. You do what you have to do. And then as we've been blessed to have more staff and I don't have to do certain things, doesn't mean that I don't want to continue to participate. So I saw my parents never such a in a high tower that they could never be a part of what was happening right there in the midst, in the midst of. And so I like being in the midst of. Uh, so that's one thing. Um, my father was a man of, true integrity my mother as well a woman of integrity but he had no problem bringing people along and saying let's get up under this house and fix these pipes or whatever and then he had no problem telling you like it was yeah baby you gonna work today we're gonna let you go home you know that that kind of thing that's the way he was and so i'm kind of that girl uh in some ways not as (laughs) he was pretty pretty rugged he was a little too straightforward but i was like oh daddy you can't say all that can't do this it's 21st century now can't do that and god bless him he's he passed on in 2008 but he was he was very much influenced of me not second guessing myself as much like i said i'm a recovering apologist and I'm, I'm just like, and I mean apologists like in apologizing. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and just always like I'm always sorry. Saying I'm and, sorry for yeah, everything. And, yeah. and my brother said, "Why do you apologize for stuff you ain't even doing?" I'm like, "I don't know. I'm just trying, you know, trying to make sure to say. everybody love me. You know, and like <laughs> everybody ain't gonna love you, girl. Just do what you got to do." So I learned that from my father and and my mother. I call her the true OG. My mother was uh, given away at. Uh, early age before uh, like six seven months six or seven weeks of age and I uh, was raised by great people but never was raised by her mom and and dad and um, she she moved through life having to make some decisions on her own and, and make really quality decisions um but my mother was not a jokester uh, I, I get that more from my dad's she has a humorous side but my mom ooh, she's serious baby she's gonna do what she's gonna do what she got to do <laughs> 
And so my mom taught me not to play and be strategic and stick to it. Both of them taught me about sticking to it. So if if I learned anything, it would be those things being, you know, work at having integrity, work at being transparent, stick to the work. Um, if 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 no one's doing it, you still found you still find yourself doing it. And most of all, and I'll never forget my father said this upon his deathbed. He said, know your business. He said, you gotta know your business and you gotta love people. And we were writing out our our value system. He said, Well, now all of this is good, but where's the love? And this was a man. This was a man's man that could lift big refrigerators and move them and all this kind of stuff and and couches and you know. And then he was like, he was the most. I'll cry all the time because my dad was a cry, not my mama. <laughs> my mom watched the football games, the hockey, you know. And my dad and I watching Star Trek and <laughs> weeping in the next room. Yeah, you know, like oh, this is so awesome. We love him, you know. So that that that's my dad, you know. Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, so that's I. I guess I got. Great things from both of them, yeah. And they've and they worked through me, and um. But but like I said, in the early stages, I, w- I went through a fourteen year succession plan, uh, with my mom, uh, to become president of. The I was like, we should say just for for context, right? Your mother was running the organization before, before me, yes. yeah. So in nineteen seven. 1978, she was the first official leader of the organization. She did that for thirty, almost thirty one years, and then I became president and CEO in two thousand eight. My father worked as our COO. He taught school for 31 years, and then he came over. 25 years uh, he spent after he gra- after he uh, retired from the school system of 31 years, and and gave the rest of his life doing the work at the Neighborhood Christian Center. And he passed away, leaving the office. We taken him to the hospital. He never returned. So he worked. He worked all the way till God called him yeah. home. So that was the kind, of, and that's where I'm. That's where I am. Um, is that I don't retire from this. Things shift a little. You age, you remember arthritis get to me, can't do all the things you used to, <laughs> but I'm committed to doing the work that I can do and, and being a thought leader in those areas because he taught us so much. He was laying in his bed. We actually, um, Fleming and Associates designed our building and, um, and they designed a suite that would allow us to have a bedroom for my father because he, he had had cancer about four years at wow. this time and he lived maybe three or four years after that. And, um, and, and we, he would, he was fine for a while. Then sometimes he'd have to go lay down after chemo, whatever. And people would go back to that. It was an open space where they could go to the room where he'd be laying up in the bed, giving directions and signing off on things and, and telling them, having team meetings. And this is stuff I saw people, wow. you know, so you talk about commitment. Yeah. Leading commitment, by example. Leading by example. That's what he, he did. My mother to this day, uh, her her arthritis is pretty bad. As she gets out of that car, as when she came and worked to work every day uh, during COVID, and sat in her car and worked from from her car. We were on the wow. Today Show about uh, well in November. Yeah, and um and uh, they they have her on the Today Show showing her <laughs> in her, her car, car. <laughs> talking on the phone to somebody, child. And uh and so she you know she helps our case management team, still supports and advises them about how to do that kind of work. And so I. You say what's influenced me. That's that's what has. Um, did I do it all the way? They've done it, or they did it at the beginning. No, I didn't. I I, I think that's, that's I didn't. how it should be. Though I, I I knew there were things that had to be changed as the as the world is changing. But my early stages, honey, I'd stand in front of a staff meeting and say, "Come on, guys, we got to do this. No, we can't do this." And I'm crying. And folks looking like this is so pitiful, Lord <laughs> Jesus. And I'm crying. We got to do it, people. You know. And so literally, I had to learn it. Okay, maybe I shouldn't have too many tears when I'm talking about you know logistics <laughs> or whatever. But you know, it was just I was <laughs> I was. <laughs> 
I didn't, I didn't know I was going to do this for the rest of my life. But, you know? well, I, think, I, I think that's a wonderful thing, though, because, like, as a leadership organization at New Memphis, I think it's just you are a testament to that. Like, leadership is a process. It's a process. It's not something that happens overnight. No. Like, you have to take it upon yourself to... You you were so fortunate to have those examples that yes. led you and that you also are now leading yeah. yes. examples for yeah. people. Yeah. But, like... You have to have those people that you look up to that can guide you. You yes. have to have, if it's a class, you have to also take a certain ownership oh, yes. of your development, yeah. right? Well, New Memphis Institute at the time was Leadership Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, I was one of the early classes in that. Um, I wouldn't say early because y'all been around for a while, but I was back in the day. Uh, <laughs> and then um, I had another um, supportive or another collaborating organization that was a part of as well. And I did I did every leadership yeah. thing that was right. in Memphis. Let's just say that. Okay, all the leadership they programs. They could lead you if Memphis, was there. I, I have done them. <laughs> and if y'all got some more, let me know. I will come to so, uh, but anyway, I I went through all the leadership and leadership academy was my first, and um, and I think that all of them that I participated have been very good for me. But what was unique about New Memphis Institute now is I don't know if you still do this, but there you had a uh, we we did the Myers Briggs, and then there was a time I think I did the executive level, mm-hmm. so there was a time when um. We were at the Peabody Hotel. It was really nice. Mm-hmm. And I never stayed there before. So thank you guys. That, that opened my <laughs> life to a new, a new world. And um, But anyway, there was a, uh, I, I don't want to say psychologist, but there was someone like that that mm-hmm. came and helped one-on-one in our rooms uh, and, and worked us through our our areas of growth, growth areas. And I never have forgotten that. And yeah. uh, and there were some moments, I really had some tears for real. I was like, oh, well. <laughs> Oh, I've got to work on this. And it was like, and, and my, my, everyone else was like, um, you know, you have the, the, the median yes. level. And so you can be above it or over it. So everything I was was what I was, but all on the top of the line. Like, <laughs> you're at the far that's end. Shocking. I, I know you can't believe it. Can't. I was like, everything I was was the extreme. And, um, and so I was, and I started appreciating that that's okay. Yes. That I could be at the, I could be on that level. Just function with excellence, whatever level you're on. Use your gifts. (laughs) Well, this is a good transition because I think, um, so what I would call your day job, although like in these days, you know, I know you're doing your work year round, but I know (laughs) know, thinking about (laughs) investing in other people and developing others, I will say, I mean, Effie, as we've uh, insinuated, has a number of of irons in the fire in addition (laughs) to being a singer-songwriter and a performer. Um, she is the founder of uh, Paparoo's Popcorn, Poppin' Paparoo's, which yes. is uh, a personal fave. Um, but I, I know you have a new, uh, you know, in the uh, pantheon of your entrepreneurial endeavors, you have a new project that I think is really interesting and sure. it t- t- takes everything you've just been talking about and kind of distills it into something that somebody can access and benefit yes. from. So tell us a little bit about this project. Well, Hustlenomics, I believe what you're alluding Hustlenomics, to. Hustlenomics, <laughs> yes. First of all, can we just take a moment to appreciate that name? Like, <laughs> yes, it is actually mine, the name of something that I get to own, trademark. But, I love it. Uh, but uh, yeah, Hustlenomics came about because I would hear so many people telling me, they knew me from so many different, like some people would see me singing somewhere like, all of a sudden say, I thought you were the popcorn lady. Or they'd see me selling popcorn and say, like My hustle knows no bounds. You, that's right. <laughs> I thought you you sang at Hope or whatever, you know. And then they'll see me, you know, singing or or doing popcorn. No, I'm sorry. They'll see me doing the Neighborhood Christian Center. And they'll say, 
I thought you, you know. <laughs> I thought you were I, that singing popcorn exactly. lady. Exactly. <laughs> I thought that's what you did. And then also, you know, do speaking engagements and consulting work. And so it throws people off because I'll I'll talk about metrics or outcomes or, yeah. you know, baselines and things like that. And they'll be like, but I thought you did popcorn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so after a while, I said, no, nah, baby, it's just a hustle. And you got to have multiple streams of income, streams of income. I don't care who you are. And if you look at those that have means, great level of means, they are not getting their dollars or maintaining that worth from one one stream. And no matter what level you're on, you 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 can appreciate that and have to know where can I function and still do that, where there's two streams or more, but never one. Because what is the old adage? Don't put all your eggs into one, one basket. basket. And it's not that you can't, be in this new Memphis Institute basket only, and but you should have other things that are helping, you know, that you're using your other giftings as you're doing this because anything can happen. And so I learned that from my parents as well. Uh, my father did welding. He was a teacher. He did welding in the, in the summer. We all helped him cut grass and cut trees. My mother was selling cars and report, you know, telling people, go get a car over here because she'd get a $100 gift card, whatever she was doing. <laughs> she just did hustle, baby. Yeah. And so I start, people said, oh, you're a hustler. I was like, I, I guess I am. And then I said, you know, then I continued to grow that into a brand of Hustlenomics. And then I, the definition of hustlenomics in regards to the hustleature opposed to the entrepreneur <laughs> is that I would call it the 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 pre the pre entree or the entree into being a true entrepreneur hmm. and a hustle a hustleature and I probably have advanced from that now. Some people call me a um what do they call me a I can't remember some there's so many names but anyway uh, <laughs> oh gosh It'll come serial to you later. a serial entrepreneur a ser- something that, like that. I like that yeah. But I was like, nah, baby, I'm a mogul now. You know. But anyway, <laughs> I'm speaking it as though it is already, but Look, it's gonna get you there. Gotta uh, it's gotta it. manifest it. I'm a mogul. You know. But a hustler chore is a person who can't necessarily get funding. You can't go get a loan from a bank, but mm-hmm. you have a, a gift or talent that can create. Um, money, um, small dollars, small, um, small, um, uh, streams, including doing another job. So hustling doesn't mean that you have to create the work. It means you've learned how to do multiple things and still do your main work well. So if you can't do all of them well, don't do, don't do them because you're the person paying you your real money. You still got to do that job. And so that's where hustle, hustleomics comes from, is that if you're hustling, people got to know you as doing quality work in all of those areas. And then those dollars over a period of time begin to give you the foundation for you building your business and then hopefully attaining credit and, and doing all the things you need to do to um, to um, to run a, a viable company. And so that is what happened for me. Starting off, you know, Candy Girl and then moving on from there to um, I had a store called Everything, T-H-A-N-G, and I sold <laughs> everything. And it was right here on Main Street. It was a little glass building. One man, he was selling art on one side and I had my store on the other side and we sold purses, earrings, tuna fish, whatever. I'm just making that up. But we sold whatever. <laughs> a little whatever bit people, of everything. Whatever people wanted. That was like, we sell that too. We sell that too. You know, and I had me one little employee and I was in college. And so um, I was hustling. And we got, and that, that just kept building me on to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. And then I wanted my children to see how things start from scratch mm-hmm. because they only have known neighborhood Christian centers in the state that pretty much is in now. Um, they've only known me. Um, I braided hair for many, many years. Um, they've only known those things about me. 
and they were established because anything I'm going to do, I'm going to do it well. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have me many people coming to it if I'm going to be involved. <laughs> and so that's what they think. They just think that's normal. And I was like, that's not normal. And so uh, in 2014, I started Papa Roos or Touchstone Enterprises, which is an umbrella for Papa Roos. And, um, and we started with vending popcorn. And honey, I ain't know how to pop no popcorn. I found somebody in a whole nother state. I was like, can y'all send us popcorn we can sell? The problem that nobody knew who I was. Right. So the popcorn was going stale. I had to buy more. I was like, I ain't making no money. I can't be, keep buying popcorn. Then we had a wonderful company in Memphis that started helping us a little bit. But it was the same issue. And it forced me. And nobody's going to teach you how to do. W- one thing about hustling is as you grow and become an entrepreneur, in order for you to do certain things, you're going to have to learn to do it on your own. No one is going Gotta to tell you. They're not going to tell you because you're competition. So mm. why am I going to tell you how to do what I do? And so I had to go on YouTubes and research wow. and do all the things and burn my arms up and all kinds of stuff, <laughs> literally. Because uh, let me tell you, caramel popcorn, if it gets it's on your, uh, it's like molten lava on your skin. <laughs> if it fall, And you think you're going to blow it off. Oh, it doesn't blow off. Just letting you know that. For you're just experience. cooling it down at that Ooh, point. <laughs> baby, it's like, this is going to hurt. Uh, but anyway, so I had to learn all those things. And it probably took me four, about three or four years to learn it and perfect it. And then. Um, began to to do the work that I'm doing now, and I'm so thankful for the those that are are you know resurging from COVID and and using yeah. paparus and we need y'all's business so I can keep on paying people. Praise God! <laughs> but um, but that's that's the hustle of true peace. So so now I have a hustle nomics. Um, hopefully, um, um, I would call it podcast, but there's going to be a little uh the airing of my like a I guess would you call a podcast I don't know we're like, what, are you doing like webisodes type of uh, thing so Lipscomb and Pits where um where um Jeremy Park is mm-hmm. helping oh, me produce yeah. those so um, there, he's putting my stuff out there and so yeah. I'm I'm um, doing those uh, we're getting right we're working on them now and they'll be released to just kind of encourage people in the different areas and right. it will talk it talks about the different highs and lows of hustling or, or building a business it's not just you know what you see. It's like when I leave here, I have to go fix some stuff. I got to go make sure payroll is right. Mm-hmm. I got to do this. And I got to do that while I'm doing my ministry work. And, I, and while I got to learn a song, I got to go sing. Whatever it is, hustling is all of that. And, get, and sometimes it gets tough. But you better not forget to pay them sales taxes on the 20th. <laughs> I think. I think <laughs> God in Texas. Yes. And I think that the cool thing is, too, like with everything you just said, right? You're putting yourself out there in a very vulnerable way. It's very vulnerable. And not everyone's going to be so lucky to be successful every time, right? No. Like sometimes you are going to fail. But I think if you view that failure as a learning experience, even though it'll be hard, um, I think that is something people will be able to take. And then when you launch these with City Current, um, yes. it, I think they call them, I'm not sure their name for them. It's like web episodes. They do kind of like a online visual it's, it's, component. Yes. It plus, has a visual piece to Yes. It. And yeah. so like, I think as you do those episodes, I think it'll be very interesting to see you apply your gifts yes. in that light. Yeah. You might have to come tutor me on some of this application. <laughs> uh, you, you sound like you know more what you're talking about than I do. Um, I will happily <laughs> tutor you. This, this is your side <laughs> hustle now. So. That's your side. I have created you a side you hustle. I love a side hustle. Right. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Look, I, I, learned, I, I learned it from you. <laughs> you you'll, are, you'll talk you're to me for one hour and, and you'll go, I got I to gotta diversify my stuff. income. And it's like, if I have to pay Christy, Effie has to pay <laughs> <laughs> And exactly. I shall. And I shall. Because uh, you know what? If you, can, if you have room to do it, and I, I'm from a faith perspective, God's going to give you the opportunity to do, do people right as well. Don't do something and expect people to pay you. 
and you ain't willing to pay mm-hmm. nobody else. So that's another thing is that, you know, if if you can't pay certain things on time, especially with COVID and I mean and you know the pandemic and all that, you know, have relations with people so they're like, hey, can I pay this on time? Can I pay this? and know that you're good for, hey, by the time this year up, I'm gonna be through with all of this. Let people know that you can be counted on and that you deserve to be paid. Mm-hmm. And that was something that was a challenge for me because I was like, oh, I just give it to you. And then I'm up here trying to figure out how to pay <laughs> something. You know, yeah. you ain't got to charge out the wazoo, yeah. but you need to, you know, and that's one another thing. I tr- tr- I've got another girl that's in my, um, I guess it's my hustle-nomics um, your, group. I don't know what Your tutelage. It. My tutelage, yeah, under my coaching. <laughs> you got to give it a name, yeah. you know, I don't know. It needs a funner name than yeah, that. Yeah, it needs a funner name than that. But anyway, I was just sharing with her. She was like, I think I'm going to put my stuff in the closet and just not, you know, call it a day. I was like, no, you will not. Just because you're doing this don't mean you can't do that. Let's creatively think about it. And why are you doing it? Don't charge $45 for that product. Charge $5, $7, $8. Try to think about the state of being that people are in right now. And don't overcharge trying to make so much money mm-hmm. that you don't sell enough product. Wholesale it out. Sell sell more, bulk it, you know, sell more product at a lesser price at a, at a quality product. Anyway, that's not the lesson for today. Yes. But I'm just saying. <laughs> oh, that, you, that's a little freebie for everybody. That's right. Hey, just, yeah, don't, you don't have to have all the money. Just do better than you were doing and let it keep on growing. Guys, Effie is here just like dropping all the knowledge she's holding court and we're we're just yeah i'm taking notes i know but like we brought her here today to talk about all of these wonderful things but also she gave a ted talk guys which i've already like hit on at the beginning of this episode and so we're gonna go ahead like evie has teed you up you know all about her and her wonderful work and so we're just gonna go ahead and dive right into her tedx memphis talk do first years last a lifetime one of 79 children raised by my mother and father, and needless to say, transporting us was no small feat. Honestly, I did not realize that riding a mobile home was not normal for most families until I was 19 years old. (laughs) Honey, we was in that camper, honey, going everywhere. (laughs) As a child, I never had to guess what my mom or dad were thinking. My father was one that taught all the time. I mean, everything was a lesson. This man had instruction steps one through five on how to tear saran wrap. (laughs) We had classes on everything from raking leaves to folding towels and how to hang the hanger the right side. I'm like, gosh, is it that serious? (laughs) Now, we were a church-going family, but as a little girl, we didn't have a children's church or nursery. So that meant when you came to church, everyone was expected to sit where? In service. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Whether you were a newborn, a toddler, or a preteen, by and by, oh, when the morning comes, when all oh, the saints of God are gathered home, we I was hoping you were going to feel it comfortable, uncomfortable, because my point was, if you're feeling uncomfortable, right now, that was exactly how we felt when my mom was staring at us if we was acting up in church. 
you know what I'm saying, that look. Whether she was in mid-sentence, mid-prayer, or mid-song, that stare was all we needed to get our little selves back in order. But what if your life was all but orderly? What if your start was all but orderly? One in five of our city's children go to bed hungry every night with only 33% of our children kindergarten ready. And across our country, nearly half of all babies born each year are born in poverty. Living a life that starts from day one in poverty lends itself to constantly, constantly being in crisis mode. Where I work, it's not uncommon for a mom along with her newborn to, to make us her first stop on their way home from the hospital to pick up diapers or other necessities. So here is poverty. Overshadowing that baby before he or she ever makes it home for the first time. One message we constantly communicate to those we serve is that properly touching, talking, reading, and playing with your child is the key to their first critical years of development because I firmly believe that our first years do last a lifetime or 20 years to life. Science tells us that the first three years of life are crucial in the development of the human brain, the child's brain. And while I'm no scientist, I know the brain has billions of neurons firing. And those neurons form trillions, forms trillions of synapses. I know that, the early, that early brain development is built upon stimulus and response model. And that 80% of the volume of a brain is formed by the time a child is three years old. It has also been proven that brain development is highly influenced by one's environment. Understanding that positive events reinforce positive wiring and negative events have the opposite effect. This wiring influences cognitive, social, and emotional development. Now, maybe some of you already know about brain development, but I did not understand the importance. I just kind of thought kids automatically should be valued, productive, morally centered, and basically happy because that's the way I was raised in the camp or in, you know, everywhere else we were. <laughs> but for some, it's not that simple. What may seem as a simple act for some may be a great feat to others. Believing that a child is a child and they'll just turn out fine because when they get to kindergarten, they'll take care of it. Often saying the school is, will, will be the place that it'll get taken care of. Often saying things like, I have other children. I've got to keep a roof over everybody's head. Food's got to be put on the table. And that takes up every day, all of my day. And I ain't got time to think about nothing, about nothing else. Ain't nobody got time for that. Now, it may seem cliche, but this is a harsh reality. That we who serve the poor and underserved encounter every day. Helping folks is hard. And while I can do this for a minute, I have to say, today I'm thinking about folks we've got to help. And I don't have an answer. It's messy. And sometimes in each case, every case is tougher and tougher than the one that comes next. The one that came before is hard. Then the next, and then the next. And sometimes all you can do is pray for help to figure it out. 
because you can't create a program for everything. The good news is that negative experiences can be rerouted and correction can take place. I personally lived in a home where my biological siblings and I were raised along 75 other siblings with no government assistance and my parents didn't have much money. Some came because they were seeking guidance, support, or needed a different environment. Others had lost their parents. And then we had those that were there because of alcohol abuse, drug abuse, um, neglect, and, and the list goes on and on. Whatever the situation, my parents made a decision to invest not only their, their resources, but they gave their time and to help wherever they could. I personally witnessed my, my siblings experience compassion and nurture that sometimes um, they had never experienced before. Some exhibiting a tough shell because of the resilience needed for them to survive on the streets or fend for themselves in their own home. Imagine finding yourself responsible for three other siblings because your mom has checked out of life and you're only five years old. It sounds unreal, but it's true. What in the world do you do with the anger and the lack of connection? Because your first years were hijacked, and all you know is, if I'm hungry, I'm going to steal it. But over time, the negative turned into positive, and those with significant challenges experienced a rebirth of sorts, where the resilience combined with intentional parenting redirected the trajectory, unfolding new and life-giving possibilities. The sad, sometimes horrible memories were still there before the first time they could truly experience a positive life. Of those who experienced the most challenges, total recovery was not a reality because their early years had affected them so much, so negatively. They may have experienced an improved life, but it was not a correction course. It was already too late. This is not a race problem. This is a human problem. And our society, our America, is only as strong as the life that has the greatest need. I have sisters and brothers all over the United States who live productive lives now, but to see that reality took me 47 years <laughs> and counting, hallelujah. <laughs> Time is precious. It's a commodity. And in the plight to help young lives thrive, we have to do more than just give it to somebody else to do. I love working with youth, and every summer, um, I love introducing them to new people, new ideas, productions, and things like that. And, um, and they love playing tricks on me because I'm an easy target. Anybody know what this is right here? I'm getting all them nicks when I get up out of here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> sharing your time, sharing your life is key to helping our children have a better chance to live their best life. What are you willing to do to help turn our failing communities around? Remember, every moment counts because our first years do last a lifetime. Thank you. All right, guys, you just heard Effie's TED Talk, Do First Years Last a Lifetime. And we've had all this time with you already, but also like, 
I'd, as I've already talked about, like my first experience hearing you speak was watching your TED Talk. And the first thing out of your mouth is that I am one of 79 children. <laughs> yes. And I, 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 Paul, I was like, I, I She's don't. just trying to do math yeah, right now. Yeah, I was like, I, like I, how? And then. <laughs> Your mama I, started having babies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, how many? Whatever. But no, like as you listen to your TED Talk, you know you immediately get our attention with yes. just that statement. And yes. then also you're, I know I've already talked about you being so magnetic, but like your presence on stage, you could just tell that you were there to bring a message and you were just so present. So have you always been such a dynamic speaker? You know, I I, I didn't know if I was even then. So there you go. <laughs> um, I have grown into myself. Um, when I look back at the girl that I was, um, I have a lisp. Um, I work. I work very hard to speak um, properly with proper English, but you know, throw in Ebonics every nanny. Uh, <laughs> but um, but I have um, not always been a the speaker I am today, and I, I'm going to speak that with with boldness. Mm-hmm. Um, that I do know that I have the craft has been developed. I've always been a good singer, and I've always been a person on stage. Mm-hmm. But I was performing something that I learned that someone else wrote. And so beginning to deliver something that was from my heart that I could believe in was a struggle for me. And part of that was because I was speaking just like today. I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you from my life experiences. Then I would go home and probably have two or three nights of just agonizing review of every mm-hmm. word I said and everything I said. And what did this person maybe, what did they think about? What And how... So it would affect my speaking and affect my presentations because I was trying to appeal and appease everyone in the audience. You want to make sure everyone likes it in here. And so what I had to do was you want to make sure that your message is uh, well-rounded and that it can help as many people as possible. But if you've gone through it, somebody else has. And so when or or you have something good to say, it's going to encourage someone. And so I've had to become confident in being me, that it's okay to be Effie. It's okay to have the experiences I've had. It's okay that I have failed. I am still breathing. I am still thriving. I'm still moving forward. And that is what I get up to speak about. Yeah. It's from that vein that I'm here to tell you, you can make it too. And it's okay if you failed yesterday. If you have the opportunity to get back up and get out there and speak, not only for yourself and what you've done, but on behalf of those that cannot speak. Yes. And that's like what you did with that Mm -hmm. TED talk. Right. So like the first thing that really the first thing you said obviously resonated with me and like your story. But the first big thing you said was, I think, over half of babies born in our country are born into poverty, poverty. Mm -hmm. And And that was at that time. That's what I was just going to say. Like that was in 2015. So tell us a little like, is there an update on that number? Let me tell you, I have not come to this meeting this time with an update That's but fair. i can share with you by saying that because of covid you're yeah. probably dealing with a lot more uh, disparity yeah. than than we than we actually know um i do believe that the numbers uh, were improving with uh with some of the issues with uh children being born and and uh and not just poverty but mortality rates things like that but um poverty is still a big issues mm-hmm. and, and now with people that have lost jobs and oh you got a whole nother thing where people are not wanting to work right now you know so it's it's uh or not knowing how to get back to work right. shall i say and so um you know when i don't even know what to respond to regarding yeah. how, what that's gonna look like no that's fair and i think mm-hmm. that i i thought that statistic 
it's something I've heard before, sure. but in the terms of your talk, because the whole premise of your talk is about how those first years right. of our lives affect us and they yes. affect us completely. And I'll be honest, when you said that in your TED talk, and that's what I love so much about TED is it makes you think. Yeah. And so when you first said that, you know, the first years of your life affect you Forever. in totality, mm-hmm. I like paused your talk and I was like, huh. Do I believe that? Like, is that true? Because I never. Well, think heard about it. adverse childhood experiences. If I get every yes. chance to get to do a TED talk, like a part two, <laughs> like the vets do a TED talk, the sequel. Or something, I'm, I'm going to talk about the adverse childhood experiences from a different, you know, vein. Because yeah. there's a guy out there, Charlie Caswell, who is wonderful at talking about that. By the way, but um, but adverse adverse childhood experiences, um, are so a part of your early childhood mm-hmm. um, process. And uh, so what I am learning that is not just people in poverty, it's Everyone, all of us. right. And, 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 and so first years last a lifetime. If we don't have anyone investing us to override more good with the negative, then you're going to have so many more adverse issues. Right. Um, and, and, and with uh, what the majority of America in the next 25 years being over 60, uh, and then you have younger people that are coming into being the ones that are going to be supporting and serving those those folks. And um, if they're if they're still challenging upbringings that they're having, they're being raised in more challenging times. Who's going to take care of these people? Yes. And how is and, and those that are now 60 plus years old, what effects do they have as a result of their early childhood mm-hmm. you know, stages? And so it's it does affect us it affects our country it affects everything about us how we start i agree and that's kind of what like I, when i restarted your like i paused it and i thought yeah. about it. i was like do you believe that like yeah i've never took in the taken taken yeah. taken the time to like really sit with that and i was like i do believe it because mm-hmm. i know there's formative experiences happened to me that's right. as a youth that still <laughs> with me so when i restarted your talk you instantly lo- like launched into the scientific yes. evidence right and so i was just curious um kind of could, if, if possible, can you elaborate a little bit more about those people in those spaces that have the opportunity? Yes, those those memories last last a lifetime, but they can be almost course corrected. There is a course correction. Now, now I have to pause and say here, yeah. I have no degree in this, <laughs> um, other than living in my parents' home again, transparent and watching this happen right in my face, and then also um, being around place, great places like Urban Child Institute. Um, um, University of Tennessee um, and very various different folks that have done this work. Sandra Matabau, that's at um, um, Labonner Hospital. Mm-hmm. So I, I've gotten a chance to see some of this um, in real time. So your question is, ask it again. So I can yeah, understand. I just want to know, like, how can those folks that are in that okay. position to yes, help corrective action, help yeah. course correct? Course correct. So what happened? What has happened when I saw my parents take? <coughs> Kids that come from abuse of all types, um, they were maybe underserved, undernourished, or whatever. Um, when they first moved in our home, and not all seventy-five came in one time. It was a two-bedroom <laughs> house turned into a uh, nine-bedroom, five-bathroom house. And every child, my father said, every child needs to have their own room. And he said, every child needs to have their own lock on their in their room. And every child needs to have their own house coat. And every child needs to have their own pajamas. Now, if you live in a house where it's a little more loose and, you know, nobody's coming in and out, then that doesn't maybe, maybe like, why do we got to do all that? Right. You know, but when you have had such exposure, when your mama's boyfriend is bought in 
Every, you know, I mean, mama, mama has brought in every boyfriend that she has, and he might have visited you as well. Then you, you've got issues where, where you need to have a lock on your door so you can know you can trust. This is mine. This belongs to me. So how do we correct those types of issues? We have to be very rigid and, and uh, an advocate in the house for the child more than ourselves because we're already okay. In, the, in that state. So my parents made sure we were fine. We had our own things, but they would go beyond the call mm-hmm. of duty with so-and-so and so-and-so with whatever their unique issues were to make sure that they felt safe. Not safe just because someone had maybe done something. Safe that you that the rent is going to be, that you ain't got to worry about being put out of here. You don't have to worry about if there's food in the refrigerator. Yeah. You don't have to worry about if you want some Kool-Aid, baby, we, we make some more. Okay, you don't have to be worrying about how we're going to get there because all that's going to get on that mobile home and we're going. Okay, so that's what so it but it would take time. My mother would spend nights and nights and nights because of triggers. I didn't know that word at the time Mm -hmm. of triggers that would happen to some of the folks who live in our home. And she'd be like, but it's okay. You don't have to leave. You're going to be fine because they were like, well, I I broke the plate or whatever. Like, child, we get another plate, you know, Mm -hmm. but in their minds, they're like. That was world-changing, devastating. Right. And so how do you convince? It's time. Mm-hmm. Self-correction, uh, corrective action takes time. Yes. Seven to ten years for some people. If they're younger, I believe it could take three to five years of consistency. Someone asked me one day, um, can we do this stuff where, you know, you just help people? You know, that's what we do a lot is help people where they are and then we go back home. But that's why we're on the properties. We don't live there, but we're on the properties eight, ten hours a day sometimes. So we're affecting change by people running into us saying the same messages. Our staff repeats the same culture of service that I'm speaking mm-hmm. to out there. And then um, just a plug like a Pat Lawler. I love his approach because people live there. Mm-hmm. And and I believe that's what has to happen. My parents did the same thing. If I was to create any other organization to co- to support what we're doing, it would be creating places and spaces where moms and their children or moms and dads and their children could come into a, a safe space where we could actually help model a behavior or an opportunity for them to have a holistic experience for three or four years, which is a lot of time. Mm. and very expensive. So I don't know how we're going to do that. But that's what you got because if you don't model that, people are going to get just little bits and pieces like you were talking about the chair picking. They're just going to get these little bits of pieces and it's not going to be consistent. And so you can't course correct something unless you are with them so long that all of the gaps that you couldn't even know, all the little pinholes that you can't know are going to make a difference later on are affected. Yeah, you have to be willing to fully invest. It's a full it's a full investment. And I can truly say, even with neighborhood Christian centers, you know, we're doing as much as we can. But how we did it in the early years with people living with us, that, that's, that's not feasible now. Yeah. That's the best way. Well, you make like a really bold statement. You kind of said it earlier, but you definitely say it in your TED Talk. You say helping people is hard. It's very hard. And I think people forget that, that it is not only is it your time, your energy, but in the ways that you are helping people and the Neighborhood Christian Center is helping people, that is something that weighs on you. Those stories stay with you. Mm-hmm. And so I really want to know, how do you navigate that not only as a leader, but help your staff like not get so just bogged down? by Because the work you're doing is so hard. Well, uh, 
I'm going to say a person's name, like Tawana Goosby, Carlos Webster, you know, Demetria Malone, Akusha, all of our site directors, Linda Webster, all these people working with people at the Napier Christian Center. So it's not just me by myself. Right. And I'm sure I've said nobody, somebody's name, I should say somebody's name, <laughs> Renee Creighton, you know, all the people. But um, they'll be like, you say my name. I'm sorry, y'all, forgive me. But uh, all of these different folks, Hattie Porter, you know, all these folks that are working with people, I've heard them say, this is draining me today, or mm-hmm. this has been a hard one, or if someone got killed or something, and we've been working with that person now, everything we tried to plant, pour into them, is, it was almost right, and then somebody else took them out. You know, that kind of thing. So I'm like, oh my gosh, this is real. These are human people that we're having human relationships with that we're connected with. And then things shift, or mm-hmm. life changes, and they had to make a decision at the spur of the moment that wasn't what we talked about and all that. And that weighs on you. Mm-hmm. But then you get a text or somebody calls and says, hey, you, you helped me out when I didn't know uh, what else to do. Or you have someone uh, like someone told us, uh, um, Huey's gave us some food. Um, Thank you, Samantha and her team. And uh, <laughs> that's my girl. Uh, and so, um, but they had some food that they needed to to move on quickly. And um, right. and the day they gave it to us, I need to call her and tell us. The, the day they gave us that food, which is in real time right now, was been Saturday. Um, a little girl called one of our workers and said, are y'all going to give us anything to eat today? Because we don't have anything. Now, in the midst of COVID, where people are getting all this money, out, some people still not getting stuff. Mm-hmm. And that little girl needed some food. And when a child calls you for food for the family, that's that's hard. And my team was talking about it today in, my, in our debriefing today, and they were like, it was such a blessing that 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 Huey's gave us not just some food, they gave them, gave them hamburgers. What kids won't eat, you know? And it was a blessing. So all of that to say, it takes all of that, but it's very draining. It's very hard. And and I want people that give to organizations like us to know we are helping people that have their own wills and their own situations. And each one of them are uniquely different. And so understand that we're working to help motivate and shift and, and move the needle with this. But there are other people on the side that got to be willing to do it. Right. And, and it takes time with each one of those to motivate and do that uniquely. If you have two or three kids in your house, each all three of them got their personality. So it's just different. And so we, we are loving people in the way they need to be loved and, and, and striving with them in the way they need to be worked alongside. Mm-hmm. And so that is what's draining. That's sometimes what wears you down, but not wears us out. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's where that's, that's where that's where we are. That. We we get worn sometimes to oh, I gotta go lay down. Yeah. But then we get excited. Because this week's the first week the of work camp. Is doing. You know, yes. Yeah. Or somebody says the thank you note. They're like, oh, I can keep on going one more day. <laughs> you know, and so, and it's okay. And we've got staff that's been there 20 years, 25 years, 15 years, 10 years. That's a long time. Mm-hmm. And they're willing to still do it. That's what something is working, mm-hmm. right? When people are willing to stay that long, yeah. something is working. And especially in something that can get that, like, just tiresome. But, yes. like, you said something and I don't want to misquote it so you said that in the plight to help young lives thrive that we have to do more than give the work to someone else to do and I think you guys are the living embodiment of that but for everyone listening that you know has these ideas and wants to help Mm -hmm. what are some actionable steps that we as listeners our individuals can do to help 
what we can do um, is first like, be give willing. Give money <laughs> to the Neighborhood Christian first Center. First five, I need y'all yeah. to give me like $1,000 a piece. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but no, what you, be, beyond money, I think when you come and see the work, mm-hmm. then you decide what you should give. Mm-hmm. But when, when people come, and y'all have done this, your teams have done this, come and be involved. Not every single day you're working. I need you to keep working so you can give us something. Right. <laughs> but but go come down and be a part of the experience, be a part of the community. Don't just drive past it. Mm-hmm. Come to it. Be willing to be a part of it. Um, come and read a book. Uh, come and bring bring your clothes and not just bring the clothes. When we have a sharing event, be willing to help give the clothes to someone yourself. Not saying your name so they can come find you, but just be a part of the process. Um, that That's the best way I could say is that you need to be a part of it. And, and let me say this. There's a lot of specialized type work. Everybody can't do that, you know. Mm-hmm. So we understand that. But the parts you can do to just see the reality. I'm doing a tour um, for some of our board members, and I'm, I'm talk, thinking about opening this up to other folks. There's going to be a real-life community tour not about who look and see what we're doing no look and see where people shop look and see where i get my hair from y'all know what i'm talking about my week okay <laughs> uh come and see where i you know go get my wings at you know right. go, come on and just do that you're like gonna submerge them in the emerge experience. yourself in yeah. the experience and because not because we're showcasing or trying to um put people on like blast or something like that i'm not saying that i think that we have a misunderstanding about the beauty that's in each community. Mm-hmm. And so when you come in and understand the culture and the beauty of each community, and I'm not talking about black, I'm talking about just people living differently right. from you, then you'll know how can you give to aid in any areas of improvement. See, everything I need don't need to be improved. Everything I'm going through, just because I don't have some, don't mean everything about me need to be improved. Yeah. Because I've, I've learned a lot from my friends that don't have necessarily what I have. And I'm like, I like the way they live. I want mm-hmm. I need to simplify some of my life, mm-hmm. you know. So there are some things we could all learn. But just having a vantage point, I think, is a, you know, we have a perception, but we don't have proper perspective. And that is what I would love to see people come in and be a part of. Effie, you're just, that was just lovely i don't i'm like i told you yeah i'm like yeah she warned me that like (laughs) you would be just i would love you and she is correct um but just you just ended it perfectly but before you leave us i would love you to tell everyone just one final time if they want to get involved with y'all learn more about what you do make a financial donation if you are capable because they (laughs) are also the memphis institute because they they (laughs) help me a lot too (laughs) so like but tell the people where they can find you guys well, you can find us at 785 Jackson Avenue, or you can go to www.ncclife.org, nccclife.org, um, and you can call me on my cell phone, or text me first, though, 901, because <laughs> all of y'all called me one time, I can't answer all that, but 826-3376 is my personal cell phone, so if you text me. That's how you know she's serious about this work, guys. She just handed out her personal phone number. Yeah, you can text me. <clears throat> but don't be acting like I can answer all y'all calls at one time. <laughs> and then say where you heard your, this number from. Yeah. Yes, please <laughs> say Because I'm like, do y'all want popcorn? <laughs> Is y'all trying to donate to the food pantry? Or what <laughs> so, yeah, so make sure I know why you're, why you're reaching Just out. Just leave the text message with, meanwhile in Memphis, Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yes. Well, Effie, 
a delight to have you. Thank, Thank you, you for taking the time to do this today. I, uh, as we've learned, you are a very busy woman. So <laughs> we'll hope to have you back on soon. And I thank you, you for pouring your work into the TED Talk as well. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure. I hope that I said something worthwhile. You, you did said great. more than a something worthwhile. You said a lot of something. So <laughs> it was so nice to meet you and have nice a great day. Well, thank you. Thank, thank you, you for you. Bye. All right, guys. You, This episode today, Effie is just a delightful person all around. I, again, this was my first time getting to meet her and I can't say enough wonderful things, not only about her, but the work she is doing in the community and especially do, through leading Neighborhood Christian Center. I'm just kind of in awe. Um, and I was a little speechless, which let's be honest, that doesn't happen. It's a bad condition yeah, in like, this line of work. Yeah. Well, also the fact that it's me and like we always know, like I will say something. It may be awkward, but it's going to be something. Um, but guys, before we leave you, we just have a few last minute announcements. Anna, take it away. What's happening in New Memphis? Final, probably not your final reminder, but another reminder that right now New Memphis is uh, has our, our leadership programs are open. Um, so we are recruiting for our fall classes that means if you are a young professional, if you are mid-career, if you're a senior executive, if you're a college student, we have a program for you. Um, Effie is the perfect person to sort of uh, interest some of that uh, as a student of our work in the past. Um, but if you're interested in uh, developing as a leader, learning about yourself, connecting with other incredible leaders across the community, uh, we are here for you. Go to newmemphis.org. You can look at all of those programs, learn more about each of them, see which one is a good fit for you. Uh, but make sure you throw your hat in the ring soon. Or if you know somebody who uh, is a good fit, is looking for a way to just get plugged in uh, in a more meaningful way in the community while also improving, again, their leadership skills, this is the place for you. Again, go to newmemphis.org. And then we also have an event coming up yeah. tomorrow. Yes, Christy? Super exciting, guys. Tomorrow we will be having our Stress Resiliency Professional Development Workshop. Uh, join us virtually as former show guest Dr. Jamie Hardy, who, again, if you haven't heard her episode, guess what? You can go listen to it right now anywhere you listen to podcasts. But she's going to be leading a conversation with some local experts in Memphis that'll just help us all gain some simple yet effective tools to help us manage the stressors in our life. And we all got them. If you say you don't have them, I'm going to be more concerned with you and obviously think you have more stressors because you're in denial. But that's neither here nor there. Just tune in for that. It's free. You can do it over like, I believe it's over lunch. You'll have to check. But if not, you know, you can still do it. Take a little time out of your day to learn how to de-stress yourself. Your employer will thank you. If you want to learn about that, you can go to our website, like Anna said, to learn about our professional development programming as well, newmemphis.org, or you can follow us at the New Memphis on all our social media platforms. And with that, I I, I just can't follow Effie. That's a hard act I to know. follow. I so I think we should just close it out, Anna. Let's try again next week. Thanks, New <laughs> Memphis. Have Bye. a good week. Meanwhile in Memphis is brought to you in partnership with WYXR, produced by New Memphis and hosted by Anna Mullins Ellis and Christy Mullen. For more information, please visit newmemphis.org. Audio for this show is recorded and produced by the OAM Network. For more information, please visit pod901.com.